This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Friday, 27th of January, 2023. We have a market still in rallying mood. We rallied yesterday in the U.S., closing at a new local high in the S&P 500, clear of that recent cluster of highs and above 4050. And now we're eyeing these uh, key last sort of levels. Uh, last, okay, the last big pivot high there since uh, last October, where the bottom was and 4100 plus. And quite interestingly, over on the NASDAQ 100, we have the um, the 40, uh, sorry, the 12,000 level coming into view uh, and trading above that and trading just above the 200-day moving average. So uh, a pretty strong session across the board. Of course, the uh, mega caps anchoring the action in terms of throwing around their, their market cap weight. But it was a strong session yesterday, Peter. Uh, pretty hard to find weaknesses in this market. One of those being, however, Intel after hours with an absolute disaster of, uh, of a, well, a report, but also especially on the guidance side. Uh, so what's your take here? And I, I have a thought on, on the Tesla candlestick. I thought it was very a very interesting daily candlestick after another insanely positive <laughs> session for that stock. Yeah, so um, I'm sitting here at the uh, at, a, at a hotel in, in Cyprus. I've been uh, out with clients, so uh, I haven't really contributed to the slide deck. So my, my remarks today sitting here uh, will be on the what, what happened around the Tesla earnings and then general thoughts on the on the earnings season and what and try to to connect that with what we see in, in the equity market. So first of all, the price action yesterday naturally was um, was you know pushed by the the events around the earnings from from Tesla. So the the Tesla earnings, they of course they 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 met the numbers. Um, they 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 sounded pretty upbeat, or Elon Musk sounded quite upbeat on the uh, on the earnings conference. Uh, he was definitely not playing along with the uh, weaker demand uh, narrative that has been building. But it, I think it's pretty clear that we all know that the inventory of cars would. Uh, you know, was building up uh, because of this mismatch between uh, production and deliveries, and uh, they have been slashing prices. And if you look at the if you look at the result, it's not something they talk that much about. But that was a pretty significant quarter and quarter decline, and also year to year decline in the in the growth margin. And I think I, I take their result at face value. It is impressive. Um, my, uh, and we might have seen the the bottom, and maybe we just now we'll be finding ourselves in a in a, around this territory. But I think. The, the jury is still out for the year on Tesla, whether, uh, you know, the margin compression that will be set in motion by these price cuts, how severe they will be when they trickle down on the bottom line. They need to raise their top line significantly to offset that margin squeeze. So I think that's that's really what we're going to find out in the coming quarters. And then I, I have a little bit hard time feeling um, joyful and, and bullish around this uh, this equity rally when we're up 7%. We had, you know, we talked about it, the uh, the weakening retail sales, especially the uh, the leading indicators in the U.S. suggesting that, you know, um, a recession probability is going higher. And then when you square that with or if you connect that with the with the earnings results we're getting, I'm just up. I just up the, updated the numbers uh, on the different indices. And if you look at the earnings quarter and quarter in the NASDAQ 100 with the results we've got so far, we're down 8%. It's the worst quarterly change on the negative side, I don't know how long. In the S&P 500, we're down on earnings 5% compared to a quarter ago. So the earnings drawdown in the NASDAQ 100 now is 20%. And, and Europe, by the way, is actually positive at this point in time. If you look at the margins, um, the the um, the the net profit margin is, is down almost a full percentage point in the US. Um, just compared to a, to a quarter ago. And I think it plays into this theme 
And by the way, it's also the theme that the Morgan Stanley's uh, Wilson has put out that you know the margin the margin squeeze this year will be so big that it will eat up any revenue every revenue gains. I, I, I John, I just and Ulla, I, I really. I really have a bad feeling that the market is not paying enough attention to the destruction that is happening on the margin side of things. Yeah, it's a very interesting perspective there. And you have these these really key levels, final sort of levels, if you will, pers- uh, resistance-wise coming into view. And uh, uh, Stan Jakobsen sending out an internal note as well yesterday on his bad feeling about this. And we have a lot of complacency. We have the easiest financial conditions really uh, by, by many measures uh, since even before the Fed started its hiking cycle. So a lot of complacency around that as well. Uh, and then just a, a small brush up on Intel. Um, they were down 10% after hours. Their revenue forecast was 10.5 to 11.5 billion for the coming quarter versus 14 billion consensus. And if it gets the lower end of that, if that's what they actually deliver, so that 10.5, I think it would, if I'm not mistaken, I read an article saying that would be the lowest level uh, for revenue uh, since 2010. And they're forecasting a loss for the quarter, first time in decades. A lot of this is on overstocking uh, their customers, overstocking chips and components uh, on concerns of these uh, shortages there were during the surge in demand uh, in the pandemic a couple of years there. So they do need to work down those inventories, uh, but just an ugly, a very ugly report. Of course, there's a, a lot of specifics around that situation. And then on the economy, where you, you know the, the leading stuff is ugly, but the coincident uh, stuff is pretty strong. And another very low claims, 186K. This is the lowest since last May. We've only had a couple of uh, or a handful of d- d- weekly claims points that were lower than that. So the jobs market is still extremely tight if we're to believe uh, the lo- local data there. All right, on slide three, just a small update on the Adani situation. Really accelerating. We had an announcement of that uh, short-selling outfit Hindenburg and their hit on the company. If we're to believe the allegations in this Hindenburg research report, and if I remember, I'll try to slot in a, a link either on Twitter or into the slide deck itself. It's incredibly damning stuff if this is true, uh, what's being put out in this report. I mean, all kinds of things about shell companies. My favorite is uh, something about a, a involvement of a quote-unquote fugitive diamond merchant and the marriage of that fugitive diamond merchant's son with one of the Adani's uh, daughters. Uh, it's really picked up pace uh, as India came back online after mm-hmm. one-day holiday overnight. And you can see the charts there on slide three. That's Adani Enterprises, one of the many companies that has been sliding on this story. And even some, uh, still some uh, bleeding and contagion into the overall Indian market, as you see on the right there with the Sensex <laughs> index, um, despite the fact that Adani's companies are not listed in that index. John, I, I, sorry for jumping in. I, I just, um, two comments uh, on uh, on this. So obviously the the situation around Adani is important for the Indian equity market, as you say. And I've been saying quite vocally, and I say it in my quarterly uh, outlook that is soon to be published, that you know I, I see this divergence in the emerging market equity market where uh, Indonesia, Vietnam, and, and India will will be the the um, the star performers. But it's obviously in the short term, this Adani case is is very negative for the narrative around the growth in in India. And can I also add, John, because you mentioned. So the slowdown in the in the leading indicators, and you talked about the coincident indicators. I just want to highlight, and I'll put it. I'll put a chart for the for our listeners on Monday when I'm back. Um, the Chicago Fed National Activity Index, which is the broadest measure of con, uh, a coincident activity in the U.S., <clears throat> it actually hit on the on the December month uh, minus um, minus a half almost. So the three month average, which is one the uh, the Fed is looking at on this time series, is now minus zero uh, thirty three. 
which is the lowest since uh, August 2012, when we had the hangover during the uh, you know the weak economy from the euro area crisis, and of course stripping out the pandemic. And the deceleration in these coincident indicators is, is now really picking up. So I think what we're beginning to see now, John, is is a convergence between the signal that we got from the leading indicators and the coincident indicators. And I think if you if you get another month of bad print, you will get uh, closer to uh, you know the U.S. floating rate recession. I, I think it will probably be difficult for the U.S. to avoid a recession in late Q1 or early Q2 with this trajectory. Yeah, we'll need to start seeing it in the uh, in the jobs data at some point as well. A notoriously lagging part of this of all of this, but still. Uh, you did see the jobless ind indicators or, or the jobless claims picking up quite consistently, for example, back in late 2007, as we were uh, that quarter was the quarter of the recession was uh, we were moving into recession. All right. Uh, just briefly on FX. Yes, the dollar a bit resilient because yields picked back up on that somewhat resilient data yesterday. The Q4 estimate and GDP a bit better than expected. And a very uh, strong claims number today. We have the PCE inflation data. Aussie still strong, as you can see on the overview on slide four. And gold uh, was just continuing to slip a little bit from those new highs, as uh, we saw yesterday. Yeah, we we touched uh, nineteen fifty yesterday, and since then we've been drifting lower. Uh, the uh, the GDP strong GDP for uh, even though it's backward looking, uh, did uh, dampen some of the uh, excitement in the yield market. The yields uh, moved high, as you say, and that just to help the market come down a bit. And I think the uh, what's quite clear there still is that we are we are in, in need of a period of consolidation. We have rallied uh, quite strongly since November. We're still within a very steep uptrend, and uh, for that to be broken, we need to take it uh, move below uh, something like the eighteen ninety level. So, uh, so we're still in that uptrend, but uh, it's uh, it needs uh, it needs a period of consolidation here just to uh, to regroup. And um, staying on the commodity, uh, the, the stories that uh, kind of picked uh, up this morning um, is, uh, and one has gone on a little bit under the radar, is the is the the focus we had on food prices recently, where there has been quite a, a steep drop in uh, in wheat prices. But if we take the other important stable for for the global consumer, especially in Asia, that's rice prices. They hit a two year high in Thailand. Uh, 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 this week, and that is the uh, that is basically the benchmark for for rice priced in Asia, and the rough rice contract trading in Chicago. That's one I'm put in on the uh, slide five here. It's uh, it hits. Uh, you can argue whether it's hit a 11 or a or a 14 year high, but it's uh, it's toying with some uh, some some high levels. And uh, rice prices, interestingly enough, did not really get impacted by by the. Uh, the rally we saw across other food commodities last year, uh, ample supplies basically kept rice prices low, and that obviously helped alleviate some of the inflationary pressures in, in Asia. And uh, that obviously could potentially change now. And if we have a strong recovery in China at the same time, then it's most certainly something we have to keep an eye on. At the same time, also yesterday, we had uh, some reports uh, pointing towards another big drop, uh, potentially big drop in wheat production from uh, Ukraine this year. Obviously, uh, the war is ongoing. The fields are not being... Uh, Cannot get access to, and uh, that uh, that has led to a, a reduction. Just in 2021, before the war broke out, uh, Ukraine produced 42 million tons of wheat. And the, remember, this is high quality wheat for human consumption, not just animal feed. And this year, it looks like it could drop to uh, to 18 or 16 tons, down from uh, 22 tons uh, last year. So that is uh, it's likely to underpin wheat price. So I think there's a sell-off we've seen there, potentially could come to an end. All right, and then on the fuel front, we're looking at this whole this whole cap and and um, yeah, uh, this whole attempt really to disrupt the flows of Russian crude and uh, products into Europe. So, what's the latest there? As we uh, continue to see the prices kind of hovering in an interesting area, but not really breaking to the upside, at least in the crude market. 
Exactly. First of all, yeah, t- take a look at crude on the Brent crude on slide six. It's uh, that 90 level is pretty key. Um, downtrend from the highs we saw last year, and also the current uptrend uh, high from uh, December. So um, just that is really a, a key area, and and one that potentially in the short term could be difficult to uh, to penetrate. I put out a note yesterday, just highlighting some of the some of the drive current drivers. But uh, yesterday as well, we saw the EU proposing a, uh, a $100 price cap on on diesel price in Europe. And um, and I just just to give an idea, I put in the chart pricing yeah, the ice gas oil contract, which is basically the European diesel contract um, priced in dollars per barrel. And there you see basically we are trading quite a bit above that right now in in the $130 level. Diesel price has been elevated for for the past year. Uh, tightness is really where we see most of the tightness, and that tightness is obviously likely to increase now with the, the embargo on Russian uh, seaborne exports. Uh, Europe has been a major buyer of uh, diesel and, and gasoline from, from Russia. And that $100 price cap, as you can see, that uh, based on current price, that's really going to hurt because, um, and that's also basically going to trigger, I would imagine, a, a bigger response from Russia than the potentially the oil cap because Russia is already selling uh, deeply discounted oil to uh, primarily to Asia, and that's uh, below the cap that has been introduced in crude oil. But this one would would obviously be uh, quite a bit below where the current price is. So it's one we need to to keep an eye on. All right, we'll do that. Uh, Peter, we have uh, earnings season season thinning out a little bit here Friday, and I'm sure Monday is not going to have many big names uh, up ahead. But uh, what are you looking forward to next week? I mean, obviously the, the three really big ones I noticed on the calendar for next week were uh, Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet, the three, the three A's, I guess you could call it. Yeah, exactly. Next week is all about uh, technology earnings, and uh, we'll – Will definitely set the uh, set the, the tone and the direction. I think for the equity market, if we see across the board um, an outlook that is similar to what we saw from Microsoft, combined with that margin squeeze that I just talked about, I think we can quickly uh, we can quickly change direction here in equity markets. I, I said it earlier in the week uh, on the podcast. I have a feeling that you know the the market the equity market is not pricing in a significant earnings recession. I, it's not pricing in a margin recession. Uh, sorry, a margin squeeze. It's not. It's not pricing in a significant uh, deterioration in the economy. It's not pricing in uh, inflation that could be stuck at a higher level. There are so many things where the where you just need to see a small tilt in the wrong direction before I think you can you can set in motion a, a very different uh, very different dynamic in the equity market. If you look at today, American Express. Uh, I don't expect a, a big hiccup from American Express, and then you, then we have Chevron reporting um, being one of the oil and gas majors of this world. It's a, it's it's naturally, I think, the key the key focus point. I'm I'm really interested in hearing what Chevron is saying, and in terms of the outlook and what their plans is uh, plans are. Sorry for uh, for capital expenditures because we we have we have seen capital expenditures beginning to expand somewhat in the global mining and energy sector, but it's still minuscule. And especially when you back out inflation, it's in, in real terms, it, it's, it's, it's really not going anywhere yet. So um, that's, that's what I'm going to look for. Yeah. And then Chevron also announcing that $75 billion share buyback and increasing its dividends, suggesting that investment is not necessarily on the top of their priority list for how to reward no, exactly. uh, shareholders. Uh, that's an interesting signal there. There was even a, a broadside or a, a criticism from the Biden administration on that that it was a curious way to expand uh, production for uh, in this time of high prices. But I guess that's because they don't see uh, anywhere where they can productively put that money to work in the oil patch. It's a very interesting signal regardless. All right. And, and then on the American Express front, we did see Visa and MasterCard reporting yesterday, both missing uh, estimates on the uh, scale of growth they were seeing. 
Um, MasterCard grew 11% on its card spending. And that was apparently below estimates. I didn't see what the estimates were. But Visa only grew 1.7%. That missed expectations for growth in their card usage by uh, something like 5%. So somehow, the, uh, even though they reported after hours, the stock was actually up after hours. But there you have it. Okay. Briefly on the calendar today, we have the PC inflation data point. I'm not sure the market is really focusing much on inflation at the moment. <clears throat> Given the deceleration uh, we have uh, in, in inflation data points here and there, uh, and basically across the board. But uh, if, if we do get a hot number, I guess it could be an unpleasant surprise for this market. 0.0% expected for the month on month on the headline and 03 on the core. And the year on year is expected to drop quite a bit to 5% for the headline versus 55 in November and 4.4 uh, on the core versus 4.7% in November. And we have uh, just briefly uh, noted this uh, uh, starting, I think they've been around for a little while. These uh, Some of the regional feds have their own services, uh, PMIs or surveys that they run. There's one out today, the Kansas City Fed. Uh, this has been around for a few years, but it really hasn't popped up in my in my calendar until, until now. It posted a minus five reading in... Um, in December, so actually moving into negative for the first time for this cycle. So maybe a little bit of an interest there as well ahead of next week's ISM. And you can see all the data points up there for next week, including the usual first of the month stuff, the uh, jobs report on Friday, but also the ISMs and uh, preceding the uh, the uh, official non-farm payrolls. We have the ADP employment change, of course, on Wednesday and a busy week for central banks. And, uh, you know, to my mind, they're not really guiding much in terms of all the guidance they're providing, certainly in the case of the Fed being ignored anyway, at least beyond the next couple of meetings. Uh, so interesting to see if they can buy back some more credibility after the, the markets are thoroughly uh, ignoring them. But in the case of the Bank of England, could be a bit more interesting on the guidance front for the next meeting or two. And the ECB has been, an uh, awful lot of ECB speakers have been out speaking on the need for multiple 50s or only 150, and then we'll see, or, or what. So I think the guidance there could be actually quite impactful uh, simply because there's so much uncertainty beyond uh, the 50 basis points expected for that Thursday meeting next week. So we'll see what it looks like. In any case, uh, we're getting into the last sort of pivotal resistance here in the U.S. equity market. We have some concerns about the ability of this market to work higher uh, based on concerns of earnings, as you heard in this report. But we'll see a, a lot of those earnings coming in next week. I think it looks like it's going to be a very, very interesting week ahead, also with the central banks in the mix uh, and, and all the data in the mix, as well as earnings. So stay care a lot there. Have a great weekend when you get there. And we'll be back next week with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>